Amen. Amen. Good morning, Relentless Church. Yes, I am so excited to be here with you all. As Chauncey said, my name is Raph. I'm the associate pastor here at Relentless. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, I'm so, so glad you're here to worship with us. Um, for those of you here in the room in person, so grateful to be here with you all. For those of you who are watching online, thank you for tuning in and choosing to worship with us this morning. Um, I want to, up front, I just want to celebrate. If you were here last Sunday, uh, it was Baptism Sunday at Relentless Church. And we had, yes... Five new brothers and sisters welcomed into the family of God. Uh, it was an amazing celebration. So excited for them. So excited for what God has been doing, what he will continue to do in the lives and hearts and minds of, of Relentless Church and, uh, and our extended community. So just super pumped and wanted to celebrate that. Um, speaking of uh, celebrating exciting things, have, have you ever um, been really excited um, about something, an ex? an experience or, or just uh, something you're looking forward to where um, ultimately the, the experience did not live up to the expectation or what happened was not exactly what you expected to, to happen. Um, uh, we had one of those as a family uh, not too long ago, uh, I guess going back to the, to the winter time. Uh, my wife and I and the kids were, were home and just like everyone else, kind of cooped up, pandemic, over it. Like, we just need to get out of the house. We need to do something. We need to get these kids out of here, get them outside. Let's do something fun. Let's do something different. Let's make some memories. And so my wife did some research and she gets the idea like, hey, let's, let's take the kids snow tubing. We'll go snow tubing. That'll be awesome. There's a place by her father's house. He lives out in the mountains a few hours from us. And so we'll go see him. Her sisters met us there. We'll go, we'll go snow tubing. It's going to be awesome. We told the kids they're super excited. They're pumped about it. We're going to make memories. Great little weekend trip planned, right? And so uh, we, we head out to the mountain. I've got, so I've got a picture, actually. You can see those are my three kiddos on the left. Narai is my oldest. She's eight. There's my, my little man, RJ, in the middle. He'll be four next month, uh, or actually this month. And, uh, and then Gigi is the, my unicorn, man. That's so fitting for her. That is her in the, uh, on the right. Um, so, so that, I show you that picture. That's about as good, that's the highlight of the trip. That's about as good as it got, as we got there and I, ha and I got to get a picture, okay? Because we got up to the top of this hill, okay? It wasn't a mountain. We went to the mountains, but we, you go snow tubing, it's a big hill. There's probably nine lanes you go down. We get to the top of that, that, that hill and all three of my kids just lost their minds. I'm talking, they were acting like completely brand new. Like, they, like they've never experienced life, like they, they, they'd never been out in public before. Like not just the regular whining, I'm hungry, I'm tired, but like fits, right, tantrums. I'm hungry, I need to go to the bathroom, I'm scared, I'm tired. Like whatever it was, they had the issue to the point where I'm like, I can't take this anymore, right? We got, we got a, a two hour pass, you know, to go down as many times as you want. We're 20 minutes in. I had all three kids back at the car, taking all those layers off, snowsuit, everything off, sitting in the car. Now we had people come with us, they're like, we're not, I'm not ruining their time, we'll sit in the car for an hour and a half until they're done. Like that was our, our amazing snow tubing trip that was gonna make all these memories. And I don't know, it's, part of it's on me, right? I don't know what I was expecting, what I was thinking, um, but like, uh, my, in my mind, I really believe this is how it's going to go. We were going to have this great trip and make memories, and all my kids, after the fact, were going to be like, Daddy, that was so great. I'm so grateful. Thank you. It was amazing, right? I don't know why I expected that to happen, but it, <laughs> nothing could have been further, further from the truth. The, uh, the, the, the experience did not um, live up to my expectations. Um, 
I share that because, I, like I said a few moments ago, we are celebrating, um, and we are always celebrating, and, and, and Scripture tells us uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a celebration in, in heaven that we would not believe every time one of God's children that was lost is, is found. And so we celebrate with our brothers and sisters who were baptized last week. But I also, one of the things David said um, as part of that baptism ceremony was, hey, as a church, we got to come alongside and, and, and help and encourage and, 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 and uh, you know, be there for our, our new brothers and sisters. And, and um, one of the ways I want to do that is to, to um, be real about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. We have an enemy who is very real. And, and um, I wish someone told me this before my baptism because, again, there was nothing that can compare to the spiritual high that I felt after coming out of that water and knowing I declared myself publicly for Jesus. But what no one told me was that when you declare yourself publicly for Jesus before that, man, the enemy wasn't too worried about me. As soon as I came out, I had a target on my back. And I don't even remember the details, but I can just tell you like that following week, pretty much everything in every area of my life started to go wrong. Or, or they're, they're just things that started piling up, like they were just against me. And I felt like, what is happening? Because I had this expectation that I, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and follow Jesus, and all of a sudden everything was going to get better and easier and work out great for me. And again, I'm not sharing this to, to discourage or to scare anybody who's thinking about baptism who, or who's been baptized in the past. I just I want to actually encourage you that when that spiritual warfare comes, right, I want to set the expectation. It will happen, and when it, when it does, double down on that choice you made. Draw in closer to Jesus. Read your Bible more. Pray, pray more, okay? And he promises to, to be there for you. And look for uh, brothers and sisters who, who, who love Jesus, who love you, to come alongside you in those, in those seasons. Don't try to go it alone, okay? Uh, as Chauncey said, we are starting a new series this morning on temptation, right? It's called, called Tempted, and it's based out of Matthew chapter 4, um, verses 1 to 11, where, where Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by, by Satan himself. Now, the context of that, okay, that's Matthew chapter 4 at the beginning, the end of chapter 3, the very last thing that happens, Matthew tells us Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, and it says he comes, out, he comes up out of the water and the, and the heavens open and the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and the voice of the Lord is, is audible and they hear him say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased and I love him. And the very next thing that happens is he's led off into the, the, the wilderness by himself to experience temp, temptation. Okay, so, so that's where we're going to be picking up. The, this morning. A um, couple things before we jump into the scripture that I want to mention. Jesus was alone in the desert. It's just him and Satan, okay? So the only reason we know about this is because Jesus shared this with his disciples. He, he, he told this experience to, to his disciples. He shared it with them so that we would know about it. It's also found in Mark, uh, Mark's gospel in chapter 1 and Luke chapter 4. And so what that tells me is that this, this account was, was not only meant to teach us about Jesus's temptation, okay, but also to help us, to prepare us for our times of, of temptation. Jesus wanted his followers to know what to expect and, and how to prepare for it. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says he was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. Mark's gospel, um, his version actually says that, that Jesus was driven by the Spirit. Driven, compelled by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by, by the, the, the devil. In other words, God's will for Jesus was to face this temptation, which sounds kind of crazy, 
when you first read it. It did to me. I was like, wait, why would, what, what, that doesn't, why? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially in the context, again, of our own baptisms, right? I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to declare myself for God publicly. I'm going to choose to, to live for, for him and no longer myself. Now, and you're, you're, you're telling me that, that my life's going to get harder, that things might get more difficult, that, that temptation is going to increase. I'm going to be tested like I never have before. That's kind of the opposite of what I was hoping for. That's, that's not exactly what I, what I signed up for. Why would the Spirit lead Jesus into temptation? A couple of things we need to understand here, I think. Um, first is that there, there are two terms in the Greek language uh, to describe temptation. Again, as Chauncey said, a temptation is a test. Right? And so there's two different variations of temptation or test in the Greek. One has the connotation of to test with a view towards strengthening. And the other is it to test with a view towards destruction. Now, God will never tempt us to destruction, but he often tests us with a view towards strengthening. Satan, the, the enemy, he, he tempts with a view towards destruction. Okay? So, so, um, we know this, uh, James, who was uh, Jesus' brother, um, in one of the letters he wrote in, in, in the New Testament, um, James chapter 1, verse 13, here's what he had to say about temptation and God. Okay, he said, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So, so right there, plain as day, the, the Holy Spirit cannot tempt us. God does not, does not tempt us. Okay, that means God himself won't tempt anyone, but the Holy Spirit may lead us to a place where we might be tempted, where we might be tempted, in this case, from, from Satan. Now, again, the question is why? Why? Why would he want that? Why would he allow that to, to happen? James, I think, speaks to this too a little bit earlier on in chapter 1, uh, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It says so that you may, be, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's talking about your faith, so that your faith would be mature and complete, so that your faith would not lack anything. Uh, I remember uh, in high school, I, I played football, and, uh, and our coach, um, at the end of every practice, okay, we had to, this is how we ended every practice, no matter what, okay? We, we had to run sprints from one end of the, the goal line all the way to the other and back. So down and back 200 yards, 10 times at the end of every practice. After a long, hard practice, and I'm talking, he, it wasn't like a jog, you know, it was sprint as fast as you can and you're going to hear it. And you got coaches hooting and hollering, yelling in your face, like run harder, finish it. There's guys just throwing up on the sides. Like it was, I don't think you can get away with it today. I'm serious. It was, it was brutal, right? And this was at the end of every practice. And my head coach would always be yelling, it's fourth quarter. It's the fourth quarter. The game is tied. Who wants it more? Who wants it more? And he's just, that was his thing. Every practice. And we're just, I hated it. It was miserable. It was miserable. But I'll never forget being in the playoffs, okay? Season's on the line. It is the fourth quarter now. I'm on defense. Other teams on offense. And we line up. And it's been a long, hard game. And I look into, into the opposing team's eyes. And you can just see their beat. They're done, just like toast. You know what I mean? And we look at each other, me and my team's like, we got them right now. 
we got this right now, right? Because I was prepared for it. All that running finally, it paid off. And I was ready when I needed it most and, 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 and took it, my game to another level while theirs was, was decreasing, okay? I think, I think that's what James is getting at here with respect to our spiritual lives, okay? That, that, that there is, there is a, a, a training aspect to this. He said, let perseverance finish its work. Listen, the trials and tribulations, the temptations are going to come. They're, unfortunately, like we could spend a lot of time wishing and debating and talking about why it's happening no matter what. They're coming. How prepared will you, will you be? He, he says, let perseverance finish its work. In other words, don't try to skirt around it. Don't, don't cut it off too quickly. Don't try to avoid it. You got to go through it in order for your faith to get to a place where it's strong enough that you can sustain anything, that it's impenetrable. He says, you'll, you'll lack nothing. You'll be complete. Not that you won't go through anything, but be, there'll be nothing you can go through that, that you won't be able to get through because you'll have a faith that's mature and complete. We see that. We see Jesus uh, building up his perseverance through, through this temptation in, in the desert, through these experiences, okay? So, so um, it's also necessary, though, for, for Jesus to endure this temptation for a couple of reasons. Because, one, because so that he could identify with us in our temptation. And then also uh, to demonstrate his own perfect, holy, sinless character. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. God only had one perfect, sinless son. He only had one. His name is Jesus. And yet not even he escaped temptation. Temptation is inevitable for all of God's children. We will all face temptation in one way or another at one time or another. There's no escaping that. And so in our lives, it's not a question of if Satan the tempter will come, but when he does, what will we do? What, what will we do? How, how will we respond? And I think that's where Jesus can help us. I think that's where he wants to help us. So continuing on, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights without any food. Now, um, that number 40, that's, that's important. There's important symbolism here. Um, all throughout scripture, we, we see that number 40 used as a, a really important, a familiar period of testing in the Bible. Okay, so just a couple of examples. Moses uh, spent 40 days and 40 nights at, at Mount Sinai when, uh, before God gave him the, the, the Ten Commandments. Okay, the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the desert, seeking, searching for the, the, the promised land. Matthew is writing his gospel to a, a Jewish audience. Okay, and so th th this is important to know because um, what he's doing is he's painting a picture for them through their, through their history. By recalling their history, he's painting a picture for them. Why? So that they understand Jesus, the Messiah, will succeed where the nation of Israel failed over and over and over again. He's, he's, he's foreshadowing that. Matthew's also pointed out the obvious. He's, he's speaking to Jesus' physical condition right here. He says he was hungry 
40 days no food, he was, he was hungry. It's said that when hunger pains return after such a long fast, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to fast for 40 days before, probably, probably not, but if you've ever gone an extended period without eating, and you know the hunger, you get, you're like, I'm starving, I'm so hungry, like, you know, start getting in a bad mood, then all of a sudden it just, after a while, it kind of goes away, and you're not hungry anymore, just for a little bit, and then, then all of a sudden the hunger pains come back. Only this time, it, like, it hurts. It feels like your stomach's eating itself from the inside. Like, I think that's just a fraction of what we're talking about here. Jesus is literally starving to death. Okay? This shows the humanity of Jesus. That, that, that even though he was sent by and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, he was also fully man. Fully man. Experiencing this. And here comes the enemy. Here comes Satan. Satan. At the end of Jesus' fast, when he's, when he's at his weakest point, physically and mentally drained, he is tired and starving to death. That's when Satan decides to approach. Verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the, the Son of God. Now, um, that if you are is, is more accurately translated since you are. Satan is not confused about who Jesus is. He understands full well that he is the, the, the son of God, okay? He's not actually questioning Jesus' deity here, uh, but he's challenging Jesus to prove it, to, to prove it by performing a miracle. And, and so, so when, when he says, tell these stones to become bread, Satan is suggesting that Jesus use his miraculous powers to, to basically provide food for himself. So, so the temptation here is to use God's gifts for his own personal gain. Satan is basically saying to Jesus, hey, you're the son of God, right? Why starve to death? Why are you starving to death? Which, if I'm honest, makes sense to me, right? I think that's a pretty good question. Surely being the son of God, the son of the living God, means Jesus had both the power and the right to satisfy his own needs. Like, what, what, what's wrong with that? What would be, what would be the problem with that? I, I'm honest, man. If, if I'm Jesus by this point, I'm probably thinking, you got a point, <laughs> Satan. That kind of makes sense to me. Let's, let's eat. Let, let's eat. But that's not how Jesus responds at all. In fact, he does the opposite. Verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' hunger here represents human wants and desires. And the, and the question for Jesus was whether being the son of God meant he was exempt from those, or, would he be loyal, or, or, or was it loyal acceptance to them as part of the Messiah's experience? Jesus had a, had a choice to make. This, this wasn't self-denial just for the sake of self-denial, or, or, or even worse, for the sake of building up spiritual pride, right? That's, re that's religion. We did a whole series on that, losing my religion. Jesus is not trying to build up his, his, his religious resume. He's not trying to prove anything before God so that God will love or accept him. No, this was a period of forced dependence by Jesus upon God the Father. Why? Because here's what Jesus knew. You cannot overcome temptation without complete dependence on God. You, you cannot overcome temptation without complete dependence on God. Make no mistake, Jesus was tempted all throughout his life. And as a result, he prayed and he cried and he suffered. And through it all, he remained obedient. 
How? By choosing to fully depend on God every step of the way. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Although, even though he was the son of God, he learned obedience through his suffering. Why did Jesus need to learn obedience? What was he training for? Why, why would God want him to know or, or even allow him to experience this kind of suffering? We're going we're, we're gonna to get into that. We're going to talk a lot more about that as this series progresses. So I don't want to step on that too much. But for now, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, this, this wasn't the, the, the last time. Jesus would face this temptation again on the cross. The end of Matthew chapter 27, verse 40, we find Jesus hanging on the cross, breathing his last breath. And there are people in the crowd, both Jews and Romans, just making fun of him, jeering at him. Hey, aren't you supposed to be the savior? Aren't you the son of God? Why don't you you save yourself? That'd be a neat trick. Why don't you get yourself down off of that tree? Satan wanted Jesus to prove here in this instance that he was the son of God, that he was in fact the Messiah, the savior of the world by catering to himself. But what what Jesus knew, what Jesus understood is that that would have been the surest way to prove that he was not, in fact, the son of God. So he resists and instead he answers him. Again, verse four, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't silently disagree with Satan. No, he answers him out loud and he answers him with the word of God. He, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse, verse 3. That's the, the scripture reference here that Jesus falls back on. Okay, I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy 8, 3 says, He humbled you by letting you go hungry. He is God. Humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This was a reference to the Israelites. Again, when they were wandering in the desert, seeking the promised land, okay? They were starving, they were hungry, and God fed them with manna. It was bread from the sky. Miraculously, every day it would appear, they would wake up, eat it, and go out upon their their day. The thing was, God only gave them enough for each day. Some of them tried to skirt that. Around. They tried to get around that. They would take extra and put it in their pockets or, or a bag or try to save it for later if they get hungry later. And it would, it would literally disintegrate. It was rotted. They couldn't eat it. Okay, why? Because God wanted them to learn. He was teaching them to depend on him for everything, to depend on him every step of the way. Jesus is saying every word that proceeds from the mouth of God should be more precious to us than even food itself. I'm like, but God, I'm I'm hungry. I'm literally starving. And he's like, no, I know. I know you need food to eat. I made you that way. I created you. And so I will will provide that. Okay, But, 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 but here's the point. There's not enough food, clothing, shelter, money, security, or anything else that you could ever want that could make it so that you don't need God. So don't make the mistake of, of taking your eyes off of the creator in search of the created. Jesus said, it is written. It is written. Then he used scripture to battle Satan's temptation. He didn't use some elaborate spiritual power that we don't have access to. But instead, 
By relying on the power and the truth of God's word, Jesus was willing to fight this battle as a man, fully human. He could have he stood against Satan with the miraculous display of his power and glory. He could have he stood against Satan with his own logic and reason. He could have, if he really wanted to, he could have easily rebuked Satan into another galaxy. But that's not what he chose to do. Instead, Jesus resisted him in a way that we can both imitate and identify with. He said, it is written. Jesus used the word of God as a weapon against Satan and his temptation. We can do the same thing. You and I, we can, we can do the same, the same thing. We have that available to us. We can effectively resist temptation the same way Jesus did, by countering the lies of the enemy with the truth of the word of God. But here's the thing. Before we can effectively use God's word, we need to know it and trust it. We need to know it and trust it. Doesn't do us very good if we don't know it, and it's not going to be very effective if we don't trust it. Before we can effectively use God's word, we need to know it and trust it. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like? What does it mean to, to know God's word? Well, here's what it meant for Jesus. Remember, he falls back on Deuteronomy, right? There are a lot of uh, Bible scholars, commentators who, who believe that Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book of the Bible because he quoted it so many times. There are others who say um, the reason he quoted it so many times is because it meant so much to the Israelites themselves, to the Jewish people. And so he's like, hey, y'all, this is your favorite book? All right, I'll quote this one. And he, but he, but he always go back to it. But I just love that concept, that idea of Jesus having a favorite book of the Bible. What if, what if we did that? What if there was one that just specifically spoke to you, you found a, a, a section of scripture that was like, that's my favorite. And you just read it over and over and over again until it became a part of you to, 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 to the point that that story became a part of your story. And now you can call on it whenever you needed it. Man, some of you might be like, well, that sounds great, but uh, I just, I don't, I've never, I don't have a lot of experience reading the Bible. Maybe I've never read the Bible. I'm just starting out. That's okay. Start with the verse. There's a, uh, the Bible app. If you've never heard of it, man, it's free to download. They do this thing called the verse of the day. And, and uh, every day they'll send you a verse that you can spend a, a few minutes reading it, marinating on it. They actually started doing the story of the day, which is amazing because it gives you the verse. And then it also gives you like a one to two minute video of someone, um, uh, encouraging you through that scripture. And then there's a devotional attached to it that you can read through. And then they give you a guided prayer as well. You spend five, 10 minutes doing that every day, man, you'll begin to know God's word. You begin to know God's word. Memorizing scripture is another great way. Again, that might seem crazy or intimidating. You know that every month we have a memory verse in our elementary room back there for our, for our, for our kids. We go over it with them multiple times so that they can repeat it and memorize it. Hopefully by the end of the month, they have it buried, tucked away in their little hearts. Okay, last month it was, it was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to, to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. My kids, my kids got that one memorized now. They, they, they love it. It's become part of our bedtime routine. We say that verse. First verse I ever had my kids memorize was Proverbs um, 3.24. Okay, it says, uh, when you go to sleep, wait, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When you lie down, well, no, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. See, I'm still trying to memorize it, but I, we say it every night. My kids kept coming in my room, waking me up. 
I'm scared. Daddy, I'm scared. Can I jump in your bed? Can I sleep in your bed? I'm like, I don't know. We got a verse for that. <laughs> we got a verse for that. This is a promise from God, okay? I want you to memorize this. And whenever you think you want to come into my bed, say this verse. Talk to God, okay? He's with you, man. He's your daddy too, all right? <laughs> No, but seriously, they know now that's a promise from God, right? And the idea is, hey, I can speak to him from his word and remind myself and call upon his promises when I need them. Man, know God's word, but, but, but then we got to trust it. We got to trust it. Trust in the truth of scripture. Trust that, that God will meet you there, that you can experience your heavenly father through, through his word. I fully believe that, that Jesus' trust came from the fact that he experienced God the Father through Scripture. I think that's what got him through those 40 days. Again, human, man, right? 40 days without food. I would be dead. I think Jesus would have been too if not for the fact that his, his heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit of God, met him in his word. He relied on that to the point where it, there is something supernatural happening there, right? Where God took him to another place spiritually, uh, emotionally, mentally, so that he can withstand those, those 40 days. Know God's word and trust God's word. You cannot overcome temptation without complete dependence on God. Man, I, and, and I realize, you know, I've been standing up here talking for a little while now, and we haven't really talked about specific temptations. And maybe you thought, you saw the graphic tempted, and you're like, oh, man, we're going to get to the temptations we all struggle with, right? And it's like, well, my temptation is nothing like Jesus is. I'm sorry to tell you, Raph, right? But, but, but the principle is the same. The, the principle is the same, whether, whether it's sexual temptation or, or temptations that, that are related to addiction Right? We always go to uh, you know, porn, drugs, alcohol, um, whatever it is, though. Even if your temptation is, is, is completely different, something no one's thought of. My temptation, quite honestly, is to stay up till all hours of the night binge-watching Netflix. And I don't want to tell you how many times I give in to that, <laughs> okay? But, but the reality is, um, yes, Jesus wants to help us with that. Yes, I believe he will help us with that, right? But, but I think we need to understand um, what, what is temptation really, okay? The, the, the way we're defining it, temptation is the enticement of a God-given desire beyond God-given bounds. The enticement of a God-given desire beyond God-given bounds. Temptation is different from sin, right? Sin is, is anything that separates us from God. And, and oftentimes, sin is the result. It's what we experience uh, when, we, when we give in to temptation. It's the result of, of giving in to temptation. But temptation itself is not sinful. And that makes sense when you think about it in the, in the, in the context of your own temptation. Again, whatever that is, whatever it looks like. But, but you know, say it is sexual temptation, right? The, that desire in and of itself in you is not sinful. God put that there and he created us for that, but, but he also created some boundaries in which that, 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 is, that is good for you, okay, according to him. And it's true for any other desire. Whatever we're chasing through, through, through the, the things that the world offers us, right, whether it's, it's chasing happiness or peace or fulfillment, ultimately, all these things are not bad. Those desires come from God, but it's when we want to take them outside of his boundary that, that the issue comes. Jesus's hunger and the temptation to turn stones into bread is representative of all of our wants and desires. Enter your temptation here. And the choice that he makes 
to completely depend on God and put all of his trust in him is the solution. That's the answer. That's how Jesus overcame temptation, not just in the desert, but over and over again throughout his life and ministry. And ultimately, it's how he defeated sin and death and overcame the grave. And now we can too. He made, that, he made it possible for us too. Because he did it and because he did it perfectly, he offers us that chance in him. Every temptation is an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. Every temptation is an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. I, I shared that um, silly snow tubing story earlier on. I didn't tell you about the, the so the, at, the, at its worst, right, like the, the, at its peak, the thing that made me take all three kids and put them in the car is, is my, my oldest, Narai, is standing up at the top of that hill, and she's just crying uncontrollably. She's freaking out, like throwing a tantrum, but it's like I've never seen. It's not bubbles coming down, and she's so scared. I can't, I can't. And, and my wife is looking at her in the face and going, Narai, honey, honey, focus, honey, listen. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I'm your mom. <laughs> I've been here your whole life, eight years, every step of the way. Never let anything happen to you. You're going to be okay. Do you trust me? And through the tears and the snot bubbles, you can see her. She's, she, her mouth says yes, but everything else about her is saying no way. <laughs> no way, right? Like, yes, the words are coming out of her mouth, but, but her demeanor, her countenance, her, her, her um, just right up until the decision she makes not to go down the hill. Screams, no way, I don't trust you. I think, I think many of us take that same posture in our relationship with God. I say many of us. I'm speaking to Christians now. We are a church um, where, where we love the untold and unconvinced. And that means on any given Sunday, there are people who, who haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, who don't know if they believe in God yet or, or aren't unsure of the Bible. And we are, we are so grateful that you're here. And we, we want you to know this is a safe place to ask those questions and to investigate. And so thank you for coming and worshiping with us, okay? But I also think it's fair that you know if and when you do make that choice, that decision to put your trust in Jesus, it's not a one-time deal. You're going to have to choose to do it over and over again. And so I think, I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves, with God, where we would say, I trust you, God. Of course I trust you. I believe you want what's best for me. I trust that you love me. I trust you for my salvation. I trust you to get me into heaven. I trust your intentions. I trust your motives, God. And again, I think we believe it at the time. When we say that, we, we really mean it. But then push comes to shove. Then the trials and the tribulations and the temptations come. Then we begin to, to experience suffering, even the slightest bit of suffering. And that trust gets put to the test. And the next thing you know, I'm standing up there at the top of the hill, just like my daughter Narai, saying, I, I trust you, God. Right? I, I trust you. Just not enough to give you complete control. Just not enough to fully depend on you. I, I trust you, God, I really do. Just don't ask me to take my life, my hopes, my dreams, my wants, my desires, my preferences, my feelings, my future, my family, and put them all in your hands. Don't, that's a bridge too far. I trust you, God, but please don't ask me to do that. And I think 
And Jesus is standing there saying, I'm sorry, but that's the only way it works. That's the only way it works. You cannot overcome temptation without complete dependence on God. Spiritual warfare is real. It's very real. Scripture describes Satan as a roaring lion, prowling around, looking for someone to devour. He is very, very smart. He's strategic, and he's so deceptive. We're going to talk all about that next week, the deceptiveness of the enemy. But, but for today, in this moment, take heart in this truth. I think, I think Jesus wants to encourage us with this truth. Every temptation is an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. Man, what, how would that affect your tomorrow? If you were to believe that and, and step into your day and your life and your relationship and your job through that lens, this is a, it's an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to put my trust in Jesus. Man, how, would, how, how will he build up your, your faith? What things could you overcome and not just, not just um, hopefully grin and bear and get through, but, but, but come out on the other side stronger? Where might God take you in your relationships Where might he take us as a church and our community if we were to truly believe that every temptation is an opportunity to put our trust in him? It's the only way it works. So I want to encourage you all to to do that this week, challenge you to do that this week as we gear up for week two of this series. But for today, I hope it's an encouragement because it has been for me. When God met me in the scripture and pointed this out, I, it's, 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 first it knocked me back on my feet, but as I step into the opportunities, man, I have not, I have not regretted it. And it's taken my relationship with him to another level. And so that's what, that's what I think he's inviting us all into. All right, if you would, let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. <laughs> thank you for your work truly is a a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you for your example that you chose to put on skin and flesh and bone and to be a man and endure temptation. And, and, And God, thank you that you were perfect so that we don't have to be. Thank you for the opportunity to put our trust in you. I pray for every, every person in this room, every person online, God, every one of your children, that this week we would step into that opportunity and that, that through that you, by the power of your spirit, that you would take us to the next level in our relationship with you, God. That, that we would not try to skirt around or run away or even despise these moments of temptation, but truly see them as opportunities. And, and God, that in that you would build up our perseverance and our strength and that our faith will become perfect, that our faith will become impenetrable, God, lacking nothing as James describes it. We need you for that. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all, next week, week two, again, we're going to be talking about the deceptiveness of the enemy. Don't miss that. Please come back and worship with us. In the meantime, have a great week, all right? We'll see y'all next week.